from the inside speaking out of the cooler money, speak out, speak truth segment. It's unique reporting and perspectives from those literally and presently on the inside or who have been on the inside of an issue, place, industry, cultural phenomenon, or movement, among other things, from the prison industrial complex and juvenile justice reform to the Black Lives Matter movement and the increase in activity of white supremacist hate groups to corporate and governmental corruption and more, whether through lived experience or witnessing firsthand. This is Cooler Money, Speak Out, Speak Truth from the Inside Out on the Call to Action segment. I'm your host, Mustafa Lajalo. And this is part two live from the walls, the prison industrial complex, the last vestiges of the slave trade. And I'm reporting from this particular Wisconsin concentration camp, Wisconsin concentration camp known as the walls, the Walpon Correction Institution. But to be clear, this is not just a prison issue or a prisoner's enslavement issue. There are direct connections of our enslavement in here to the state of our communities out there. And we can begin with the quote unquote convigation or slavery by another name in its historical context. So going back to the 13th Amendment of the United States Constitution, which we spoke on in the first episode or the first part of Live from the Walls, you have an economy that was built on unpaid labor, upended by the 13th Amendment, at least momentarily. So the many industries that relied on that slave labor sought to circumvent the amendment. And they settled on an exploitation of the exception, the exception being in cases of punishment for crime. So then you have uh, such laws. I mean, you've heard of uh, uh, the hog stealing law. So you have a people that are unemployed because they're not willing to work for free, unpaid labor anymore, starving. So if you're still a chicken, you might want to be in prison for five years or a hog. Right, And then you have laws such as vagrancy laws that made it a crime to be unemployed. So if you go to an industry or a factory, you're looking for a job, you're not hired. As you see on uh, different souls today, you might see, you know, a whole group of laborers, day laborers, standing out waiting to get employed. So that's a vagrancy law back in the day. So that's a violation of a vagrancy law back in the day. So... You're standing there waiting to get employed, and instead you get arrested. And then you're made and forced to work for the same employer, free of charge, unpaid labor, that would not hire you in the first place. And there were other corruptions of the law which made it easy to jail and imprison and thereby enslave African people. I still say African. You can say black, African-American, however you want to say it enslaved them by another name. And so today, the primary goal then was to maintain slavery by another name, primarily for economic benefit. So what has changed today? Today, prison, slave labor, is a billion-dollar industry. Over 3,000 corporations, including 2,500 privately traded companies, profit from the U.S. prison industry. And we can begin with the United States government itself. And I'm going to quote from... Left Business Observer, the federal prison industry produces 100% of all military helmets and war supplies, and it also produces other equipment. The federal prison industry, prisoners, the workers supplied 98% of the entire market for equipment assembly services, 93% of paints and paintbrushes, 92% of stove assembly, 46% of body armor. 36% of home appliances, 30% of 
of headphones, microphones, speakers, and 21% of office furniture. It also applies. Oh, it also supplies airplane parts, medical supplies, and much more. Prisoners are even raising seeing eye dogs for the blind. So these are federal jobs that would otherwise at least meet the federal minimum, the federal minimum wage and also come with benefits. And you have the same thing on a state level. Right here in Wisconsin, you have Bazard State Industries. So you have guys that work at Bazard State Industries, and they're making office furniture. They're making seats, license plates, signs, and including equipment for the University of Wisconsin systems. And in other states, you have the same thing. Right now in California, those raging wildfires out there in the West, you have firefighters that are prisoners. Yeah, you have prisoners that are fighting those fires out there, risking their lives in hope for an earlier chance at freedom. And we're getting that a little later in the episode because <laughs> just as with the convict leasing, you have manipulation of the laws, you have deception, you have treachery, you have corruption. And so uh, that's just on the state level, the, the, the federal and the state level. So we're talking about that's government. But you also have many private corporations that are also benefiting from prison labor. And the list, <laughs> quite a few, but by far, uh, nowhere near the three, over 3,000. You have McDonald's. They rely on prisoners to make the beef patties, right, to process beef patties, including milk, chicken products as well. Wendy's, similarly. Uh, Walmart, they're hiring prisoners to, you know, clean the UPS bars off of products so they can be resold. So they can be resold. Starbucks, Sprint, using inmates at the call centers. Verizon, same thing, telecommunication services. Victoria's Secret, using female inmates to help store their products, as well as, you know, attach made in USA tags. JCPenney and Kmart, same thing. There, they're using inmates in Tennessee to help uh, process genes. And then you had an airlines industry, American Airlines in this particular case, using inmates to help uh, preserve or make, make reservations. So you have all these different companies that are benefiting from this industry. And in many cases, when you're talking about, you know, on the state level, going back to the state, they're spending more on the, pit, on the prison industry than they're spending on their universities, their educational systems. So if it costs more to spend, in Wisconsin, example, in 2017, $1.2 billion was spent on the prison industry, more than that was spent on the University of Wisconsin educational system. So if it costs more to spend to send a U.S., uh, a state citizen, rather, to prison than to college, why not send him or her to college? Invest in something or someone that can turn that can in turn benefit the state and its economy. But the answer is the same as before. The efforts of the industries that benefit from that labor to ensure it never happens is great. We're talking about millions that are pumped in the political campaigns and also uh, in the lobbyists. In an example, we have a report from, it's in the public interest. They did a 2016 report, and they found that, and this is 2016, the report came out, 
<laughs> and you can best believe not much has changed. So during the 2013 and 2014 election years, the corrections industry spent more than $2.5 million on like 200 corrections, 360 candidates that were running for different state offices. Out of the 30 governors, lieutenant governors, controllers, attorney generals, and legislators that received individual contributions of $5,000 or greater, out of that 30, 27 won their, won their races. And in 2014, you have CCA alone, which is Corrections or Corporation of America, a private, uh, uh, a private uh, prison industry. They contributed like 23 senators and 25 representatives in the House. And GEO Group, which is another private prison in this, uh, company, contributed like 10 senators and 28 representatives. In 2014, out of the 17 senators and representatives that received contributions of $5,000 or greater from CCA or GEO Group, 14 won their races. And then you have these same two groups, CCA and GEO combined. They hired like 20 lobbyists in Washington, D.C. and paid them a combined $1.6 million. So that's on average like $80,000 per lobbyist. So there's a strong effort and machine behind keeping things as they are. And it's having an impact on us as a people. So if you look at Wisconsin alone, this is going by the 2010 census before the pandemic, and I'm certain it hasn't gotten any better. You have over 4,000 out of every 100,000 African black residents in Wisconsin, over 4,000 were incarcerated. When you compare that to whites in Wisconsin, only roughly 400 out of every 100,000 were incarcerated. So, what we're talking about in society, you know, it's, it's the heavy handed jump out the car and tackle every one of the suspect policing of the black community that lands us disproportionately in prison. And the racist, and the racist application of the rule violations in here that keep us in here longer disproportionately and weakens the fabric of the black community out there. Voting power, family income, family structure, quote unquote, neighborhoods designated high, quote unquote, high crime areas. A label used to justify violent targeting, over-policing, and over-incarceration, and over-incarceration of our communities, which all perpetuates the same vicious cycle and maintain the racist, racial status quo. And what's happening in here is a critical part of that. Because if we're in here working for slave wages, 10 cents, 13 cents, 33 cents an hour, you, the most you might make is a little over a dollar. And that's, believe me, that's the very, very few. In some cases, you're forced to work for nothing at all because you can make a, uh, you can commit a rule violation and they got something called extra duty. So instead of doing time and segregation, you know, you go clean up outside or whatever. So the prison cannot run without free, unpaid, or almost unpaid slave labor. It's prisons that run the laundry, that run food services, uh, maintenance, and many other jobs, including tutoring, right? So 
you're spending, a person is spending, you know, years and decades in prison, unable to save money to support his family on the street. So the family on the street is missing at least half of that household income, whether it's the father incarcerated or the mother incarcerated. In most cases, it's the father, but in many cases, the mother as well. Not to mention that both of them are incarcerated, and therefore the child is being raised by the grandmother, who's in many cases on a fixed income. So you have a child being raised in poverty. You have the family structure broken. I mean, we don't even need to have a discussion of the impact that incarceration is having on us as a people in society. If we go back into the time of slavery, it wouldn't be a discussion because the free people in the North had no doubt that slavery in the South impacted their livelihood, impacted them as citizens. And it's the same today. And we have the same manipulations in the system. Uh, an example, I recently read an article. It was in uh, the prison, prison legal news. And I'm familiar with this law. It's, it's, uh, it's the law that prohibits double jeopardy. That's the Fifth Amendment of the United States Constitution. And so there's a United States Supreme Court case, and there's many others, but this particular case, Wallen versus U.S. And it's even old. Wallen versus U.S. is like a 1980 case. It's based on an even older case, the Blockburger case. So we're talking about a law that's been on the books, United States Constitution, and also in the U.S. Supreme Court, a U.S. Supreme Court decision, uh, going over 100 years now. But going to the U.S. Supreme Court decision, which is more than 40 years old, it makes it clear that you cannot be charged twice for the same crime, even in one indictment. So if your crime is possession of a weapon, and in the process of possessing that, of possessing that weapon, it's also one of the, there also was a possession of drugs. And in this one particular case I'm familiar with, that's what happened. The guy was charged with possession of a weapon during the process of possession of drugs with intent to deliver. Then he was also charged a second time with possession of the drugs with intent to deliver, which is an included offense of the possession of a weapon while possessing drugs with intent to deliver. So this is law that's been on the books for more than, I mean, for decades, more than 40 years, but yet this is somebody being charged and sent to prison for the same offense twice in 2016 and still incarcerated today. And there's other cases that's in this article I mentioned Guy in Illinois is the same thing. And so Illinois recently came out with a new decision, Illinois Supreme Court, 2020, that said it's, it's unlawful, it's unconstitutional. But that's been established. So in between that time, think of the hundreds, even thousands of people that continue to be incarcerated based on violations of their right to be free from double jeopardy. And what happens is when the prosecution overcharges us like that, then it makes it much easier to coerce the person into taking a plea. Or if we don't get them on one count, we're bound to find them guilty. The jury is bound to find them guilty on the other count. And in many cases, the jury find them guilty. The jury will find them guilty on all counts. And you just got to fight your way back through years, maybe even decades of appeals. And in most cases, not get the right result. So we have the same manipulations going on as before. The law is being used as a tool to maintain, uh, perpetuate the institution of slavery. 
and for industries that benefit from the slave trade to continue to benefit and from the government itself that benefits. So you have employees that's a part of this prison industrial complex. They're not trying to give up their jobs. They're not trying to give up their benefits. Right now in this prison, the walls, Walpole Correctional Institution, there isn't even enough employees. I'm talking about DOC staff to run the prison. There's not enough employees to make sure that we have our constitutional right to leave the cell and have recreation. We're really in solitary confinement and we're supposed to be general population. We're in the cell confined 23 to 25 of the day because almost every day it's time for us to have recreation and to come outside the cell. They said they're short of staff. We only had two showers last week because they said they were short of staff. Under the Constitution, you were guaranteed at least three showers a week. And of course, in, 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 in regular operations, you would get four or five and you do the rest in your cell yourself. But the point is, is that if you're so short of staff that you can't run the prison, the easy answer to that is let enough prisoners go that are eligible to go, myself included, so you can have enough staff to run the prison. So you have more product than you have employees to run this assembly, assembly line known as the prison industrial complex. That's how deep it is. The technological interest is long gone. It's an economic interest that's at stake. And going back to the firefighter guy, uh, guys I mentioned in California, we have this one guy. I'm going to uh, mention his case. It's Ulysses Walker. Been incarcerated 11 years. Nine of those 11 years without a single infraction. So no problem. No write-up. No disciplinary issues in the prison system. His original date for release was November was set in November uh, 17, 2021. So he entered into this firefighting training camp or conservation camp that's in California. And the promise is, and he entered into an agreement with, with the state for this, is that if you get the training, you know, you, 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 uh, you get certified, that you will get half of your sentence knocked off. But the wildfires going on, they need them. So they instituted some called an emergency regulation, and they pushed the guy's sentences back. So it went from being November the 17th, 2021, to October the 29th, 2022. So now they're saying he has to engage in, 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 in additional work. It's some called a 30 for 30 program. I'm not going to get into the details of that. But even with the 30 for 30 program, and if he earned the time back that he was given before, there really was a breach of contract when it was taken. He still will get released four months past his actual release date. So it's like if we go back to the convict leasing, where you tell the prisoner that as a result of violating the vagrancy law, you are sentenced to six months in the county jail. However, if you work on uh, Master Gilmore Farm, then we'll release you in 90 days. So if you give us 90 days of free labor, we'll cut that six-month sentence in half. And he works for the 90 days, and then in 90 days, you know, he broke an axe or a pick or whatever it was on the farm. So now he got to do another 90 days of free labor to pay for the farm tool that was worn and torn and was bound to break anyway. 
So we have these same type of manipulations in the system today in 2021. You have guys in California risking their lives to fight wildfires. And not only are you not honoring the fact that they're putting their lives on the line, you're taking back what was given to them. You're extending their release date beyond what it initially was when it, when it was agreed to. Now you got to do another program and then we'll give it to you. But if we give it to you, you're still going to be four months behind your release date. And we'll be talking about the impact that it's having on children. And that brother, Ulysses Walker, he has children in Wisconsin. We're going to go straight to Wisconsin for right now. There's a ranking that came out. It's from the uh, Wisconsin Council on Children and Families. And it showed that there's an overall index. I mean, there's many different categories. There's, there's categories dealing with poverty. There's categories dealing with, uh, you know, single-parent homes, which obviously incarceration impacts that, uh, high school graduation graduation rates, all that. But overall on the index in Wisconsin, black children, young adults, they rank like 46. So out of the 50 states, the state of black children, African children, Young African adults in the state of Wisconsin, we rank 46. I mean, that's about as low as you can get. And when you take whether or not a person between the age of 19 and 25 is either going to school or at work in Wisconsin, people of African descent are dead last, 50. The lowest in the country, the lowest in any state. When we talk about high school graduation, white kids in Wisconsin rank number one the best in the country in terms of graduation. African kids in Wisconsin, ranked 30. When we talk about two-parent families, again, we're dead last in Wisconsin. So that's a disruption of the black family structure in the state of Wisconsin. We're dead last. And when you look at, again, at the incarceration rates, where it showed that over 4,000 out of every 100,000 people of African descent in Wisconsin are incarcerated. And on the white side of Wisconsin, only 400 of every 100,000 is incarcerated. These numbers should not be surprising. So when we look at the same number for white kids in two-parent homes, they rank 12. Out of 50 states, Wisconsin ranked 12 for white kids. 50, dead last for kids of African descent. So this issue of slavery in the prison system extends beyond these walls. And no question incarceration alone impacts, but just think if even though that father or mother is away from the family, away from his, uh, his or her child's life, but able to make minimum wage in the prison system. Imagine what type of contributions could be made to the family, to the child, to the welfare of the child, to the child's education, to the ability to re-enter society, re-entry, in a way that does not lead to recidivism and reincarceration. So this is where we're at. And uh, there's, a, as I said before, there's a bill 
that's being supported is called the Abolition Amendment, which would totally abolish slavery in prison or anywhere else in the United States. And this is some of the things that's just been spoken on that's on the line. So support that bill. You have uh, the people I mentioned before. You have, uh, 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 I think it's Congressman uh, Nakima Williams. You have a Senator uh, Jeffrey Merkley. You have uh, a state senator right here in Wisconsin, Lena Taylor, that uh, has submitted, she's uh, submitted a ban, a slavery ban, several times to get voted on. So let's pick up some steam on this. Let's get it done. Let's network. Let's mobilize. Because it doesn't just impact those of us in here. It impacts our entire community, our entire society. This is Cooler Money. Speak out, speak truth. Reach out.